Well, we are in our Revelation series. We've got a lot to do. It is an immense amount of work. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, the amount of slides today and the amount of notes, I don't want anybody to be thrown off. If you picked up your notes today, you'll see there are four pages of notes. I know, please don't. Don't throw anything. There's four pages of notes today. Uh, hopefully we'll get through those quick. Uh, we're in the, the, two, the seven churches section of Revelation. This week we're covering four churches. Next week will only be three, and then we'll get into the um, what is yet to come in Revelation. I ought to show you that slide. Our theme is called Worship, Watch, and Warn, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The big idea today is I must serve God with love, perseverance, and purity. That's going to be our theme today. But I'll take you back to this slide and uh, point out how Revelation is laid out. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 is what is past. Remember the Bible in Revelation keeps saying, who was and is and evermore will be. It's always about the past, present, future. And Revelation is laid out that way, that Revelation 1 was the past. We looked at who Jesus was, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John heard a voice. He turned and he saw Jesus. Remember, the, the candlesticks, the menorahs represented the Messiah, the light of the world. And he saw Jesus. Then there was a there's the description of Jesus last week. We worship Jesus. And then now we're into these seven churches of Asia. And it's going to be Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We're covering chapter 2 today. That's present. And I want to let you know as we get into that, uh, it's very interesting that we as a church today are kind of represented there. These seven churches weren't the only seven churches. And to be very honest with you, I've studied and looked at some of the great thinkers of all time. Nobody can really understand why John chose these seven churches. There's other churches. You've heard of them. Uh, I wrote them down. There's a church in Colossae, Heropolis, Troas, Magnesia, and Trails. Those, those are all churches, but he didn't choose. The, he chose these seven. And, and, and I want you to know uh, that I think John chose these churches just to represent churches, believers. He's specific to that body, those seven bodies, when he talks to them. But we, Oakwood, can find ourselves in one or two or more of these churches today as we see Jesus talking to them, writing a letter to them. The question should be on our minds today, what would Jesus say to Oakwood? What would he say to Oakwood? We are in chapter 2 and 3, which is the present, so Jesus was, who is, and is yet to come. We haven't turned the page yet into the uh, apocalyptic type stuff. And to be honest with you, Revelation isn't all apocalyptic. Actually, chapters 2 and 3, most scholars believe, don't fit the apocalyptic uh, literature mode. They're more general, and, and they give specific names of people, churches, um, groups of people, and, and that's not apocalyptic type literature. So we're kind of stepping out of a genre. Uh, to cover this, and I think it's because it represents the present, our present. We're in the church age, like these seven churches are in the church age. Paul wrote to seven churches, but the seven churches he wrote to were Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Philippians, Colossians. And so you can see these seven churches are a representation. And we'll look at what he says to each of these today. But as I got going into this, I really wanted to start something. I want to start a question and answer time. It would be awful if I barreled through the whole book of Revelation and you guys are sitting there going, yeah, but I wanted to know, or this is a burning question for me. I did get one question last week and I haven't even answered it yet. It's been, it's been a week, okay? <laughs> the Bible says a day is as a thousand. This was a thousand year week last week. Uh, but somebody wrote me a question last week and it spurred my thinking of maybe you guys have questions. Here's what you can do. Write me at pd at oakwoodcc.org. Just write an email, PD, stands for Pastor Don, at oakwoodcc, the CC stands for Community Church, by the way, oakwoodcc.org. And write me a question. No questions are stupid. Only the guy who answers them will be stupid, okay? So any question will work. And I wanted to give you a, a, a sample today. Uh, I've been watching other great pastors preach the Revelation, and one of them's doing this very thing. He's, he's letting his people write in, ask questions. One of the questions he got, was simply this. Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? 
Somebody wanted to know, if I, took the, if, if I took the vaccine, would I be accidentally taking the mark of the beast? Now, some of you laugh and giggle about that, but some people worry about stuff like that. Some people would be nervous. Should I do this? Should I not do that? You have your own reasons. I am not going to stand on this stage and tell you what to do with the vaccine. You do what you want to do. You do what you choose to do. But you need to know the vaccine is not not the mark of the beast. And I can say that with assurance today. How do we know that? Number one, the mark of the beast will come. It's the 666, and it will be known as the mark of the beast. And you, a person who takes the mark, will have to pledge allegiance to the beast. You have to actually pledge allegiance to the beast. So I don't hear anybody going in to get the vaccine that is pledging allegiance to the beast. Number two, they can't. He has not been revealed yet. Uh, the mark of the beast takes place when the Antichrist is revealed. And the Antichrist has not yet been revealed. Why? Because Christ has not returned for his church. The Bible is clear in, in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. He who holds back all the evil right now will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. See, Jesus right now, whether you know it, is holding back the forces of evil. You might be thinking he's slipping a little bit because it's getting bad, right? But he is holding back evil currently. And the Bible says that when he comes for us, he takes the entire church away, and that whole restraining influence is gone. Not only does he stop doing it, but you and I are gone. Ever feel like you're fighting up against a hard wall in this world today against evil and, and rottenness and, and messed up living and thinking? We are. We are. We stand diabolically opposed to the direction the world is heading. But when we're removed, watch out. When the church is gone and Jesus is gone, can, we can't imagine. Some of you watch the news and think it can't get worse. Friends, it's going to get worse. And so you need to know. If you go get the shot, you're not accidentally taking the mark of the beast. You would have to proclaim allegiance to the beast. He'd have to be revealed. And Romans 14 and 9 says that there will be an angel flying around saying, do not take the mark of the beast. I haven't seen that. Anybody, everybody been around board just lately and saw an angel flying around with a sword saying, don't take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, friends, don't worry. You're not accidentally going to be sucked up into some wrong choice. Uh, so that's one answer. And if you have questions like that, you can just send them to pd at oakwoodcc.org and I will attempt to answer them as best I can as we go through the series. All right. And if you've got a really hard one that stumps me, you might be called to come up here and answer it. So no, I wouldn't do that to you. All right. We got a long way to go today. So let's jump right into it. Open your Bibles or get a gadget open to Revelation chapter 2. They'll try to have it on the screens, but I really prefer you have your copy of the Word. I don't think he's going to count it against you if you read Revelations off the wall. But the Bible says, blessed are those who hear it and read it and put it to practice. So you're going to be blessed again today because we're going to go through the entire uh, book. Revelation chapter 2. He starts talking to individual churches. Have you ever had anybody invite themselves over unannounced? You ever had anybody just shows up and then starts judging your house or your lawn? I've told the story before, but I was a youth pastor in Battle Creek, and I'll never forget the day this lady, God bless her heart, older lady came into the church, walked into my office, grabbed me by the ear, and pulled me out the door. She said, young man, you follow me, young man. And she took me outside the church, and she said, do you see that? And I didn't. I, I didn't see it. I, I, I had no idea. She said, don't you see that? And she said, these are weeds. This is a certain kind of weed, and they're going to spread. And so I can't believe you're allowing this to happen at this church. You need to do something. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I didn't see that in my job description. Lawn maintenance wasn't necessarily on my job description, but she was upset. Who gets to show up and judge the church? Who's the only one who can show up unannounced anytime and say, that is wrong and this is right? Well, obviously it can't be you and me. You and I, as silly as it sounds, were like an old lady walking in, grabbing the youth pastor by the ear and complaining about weeds. I mean, all of our concerns, the things that matter to us really, really amount to those kind of things. The, the music style, the, 
the, the color of the carpet or the lack of it, uh, the, the, you name it, th- those things that people say that, that you got to have this ministry. If you don't have this ministry, I'll go to a different church. I, I mean, these kind of things are, are people showing up unannounced and deciding they get to judge whether the church is good or bad based on their criteria. And, and guess what? There's no way any church could survive by being judged by all of your criterias. Well, if the church doesn't do this, if the church doesn't do that. Some of y'all love bingo. I was told on the way out last night, we ought to be doing this once a month. If pastor had won, perhaps we might. (laughs) It's all right to like bingo, and it's all right to like uh, hymn music. It's all right to love contemporary music. It's all right to have any of those... But can I tell you, no church will be judged on its effectiveness based on a program or a lack of a program. The only one who can show up at any time, unannounced, walk in and say, this is wrong, this is right, is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who was, who is, and whoevermore will be, He's the one that judges. And he can walk in at any time and he's going to point out things. And I doubt he's going to have anything to say about the petty things. Church service times. I doubt he's going to have anything to say about a choir or lack of a choir. I doubt he's going to have anything to say about do we do three songs in a row? Is that too long to stand? I doubt he's going to have anything to say about this or that or the other thing. But you're going to find today he has a lot to say to churches because when he sees churches, he sees right through the heart and the head of every church. What I love about what we're going to read today is he loves his church. And there's always a commendation, even if the church is rotten or doing a really bad job, he gives them a praise, a commendation. Good job. Here's where you're doing. Good. And then there's, some, there's sometimes a complaint he has a complaint for some of these churches, but then he always gives a remedy. I like that. The old lady who grabbed my ear took me outside. Her remedy was the youth pastor needs to pull the weeds. And that was going to be it. Well, I'm thankful we got a Savior who loves us, and he tells us right versus wrong and how to remedy it. Amen? So let's go right to it. We're in Revelation chapter 2. Right into it, he starts talking to the angel of the church in Ephesus right i got to stop there and just go back to the word angel. There's so much debate on this. I can't tell you, uh, standing here, that I know exactly what the angels are. I fall into the camp that believe that the angels are the pastors of these churches. Angel means messenger. There's so many people that think these are uh, heavenly beings. Some people think these are the guardian angels over every church. I, I don't fall into that camp. I truly believe that the message, the letter was physically sent and delivered to the pastor of the church and he's the angel don't go around call me angel don but he's the messenger right he's the spokesperson for god and you need to know that as i stand on this stage i don't want to proclaim the words of don i want to proclaim the words of god i want to be his messenger and so therefore that's why i fall. but you can think whatever you want about who it is the bible simply says to the angel of the church in ephesus ephesus was a great harbor city the center of travel, trade, and commerce, the seat of Roman governor of the province of Asia, the most illustrious city in Asia Minor. The population was around 250,000 people. These are big towns. What, uh, Battle Creek when I was there was what, 60,000 people? What, are, what, are, what, is, uh, what is the greater Ortonville area? Anybody have the demographic? I don't know. I think it's just south of 250,000, I think. It's not that big, right? But 250,000 people in Ephesus. This is a big town. Paul established a church there on his third missionary journey. Okay, pastor, start doing the... Okay, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent 
and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, stop there. Uh, you can say Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans. I've heard it so many different ways. Who are these Nicolaitans? We really aren't sure exactly. But the word Nicolaitans comes from a compound word using two, uh, two thoughts. Nico, Nikao, Nikao, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Nikao, Nikao means to overcome. And the last part of the word means people. And so it could be construed as a positive thing, some overcoming people, but it's not meant to be because it's a negative thing. It's meant to mean overcoming people. Uh, Apparently there was a group at the church that was trying to overcome the church, overcome the leader of the pastor and his authority. And, And this group was rising up and we believe, that's what I believe, that the Nicolaitans were evil. The Bible says they're an evil group of people. Their deeds are evil and the doctrine's evil. And so Christ points out that this church in Ephesus is dealing with this group, the Nicolaitans. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, by the way, that's Nikao once again, victory, Nikao. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, here we go. Each one of our seven churches is going to follow the same format, and I plan to do that through this. So the letter to the church in Ephesus, first there's always a description of Christ. And in this church, it was sent that Christ is the protector and the present one. Protector and present. Where's my little cheat sheet? To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among them. He is present. The churches are those seven lampstands. Do you realize today, church, that Jesus is present here? Not only does the Bible say we're two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there, but he walks amongst us today, and he is the one who judges each church. He is protector of the churches, but he's also the present one. He holds us in his hand, but he's walking amongst us. The second thing I see in this is the diagnosis. There's always a diagnosis for the church. It comes with a commendation and a complaint, except for Smyrna. A commendation and a complaint. What does he say that he commended Ephesus for? They expended effort and toil. You know, you, you want to see a good church today. There, it's a church that that wants to be busy. I mean, Jesus is coming. Look busy, people, right? I mean, come on, let's get off our pews and let's get into the streets. Let's get busy. And this church in Ephesus, they expended effort and toil. They have endurance through persecution and trials. We're all going to face trials. The word tribulation is there, but it's not tribulation as a noun. It's tribulation as in things that happen in our church life that are struggles. This church endured tribulation. They paid the the builder of this building 20 some years ago. They paid him thousands and thousands of dollars and he did part of the building and walked off with the rest of it, uh, absconding with the money. And this church rose above that. I love that about Oakwood. That's a, you know, if Jesus were to write a letter, I'm positive that day would probably be written I think he would say, good, good on you, Oakwood. You got robbed, but you stood up and said, we will not be defeated. That's in the letter to the church at Oakwood. <laughs> the intolerance of moral evil and sinful men. The Bible talks about them standing up against this bad influence in the church. And then it talks about the discernment to, to perceive doctrinal apostates. Church. You need to know that Jesus loves his church. And one of the main things that he's concerned about is doctrinal purity. Are you holding to the word? Are you sticking to what the word of God says? I've already told you, I I don't believe the only person that has ever lived who got the Bible completely right lives in Ortonville. It's not me. I could be wrong about parts of it, but you better believe that we don't think we're wrong. We wouldn't continue on thinking, well, we're wrong about that. No, We hold to what we hold to, and we believe what we believe, and we'll stand on that. Christ will judge that. Christ will. Jesus judged this church in a positive way, saying, you did perceive doctrinal apostates, apostasy, something that goes against the truth. 
Another thing they were commended for is the resolve not to faint or quit under pressure. Oh, church is not simple. And church is not easy. There's all sorts of books written about how to do church well. Trust me, we read those kind of things in church leadership. Simple Church came out. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Simple Church. (laughs) There's no such thing as Simple Church. You know, there isn't. It's organic, which means it's alive and growing and shifting and changing. Nothing simple about a, a body of people coming together. You put a bunch of people in one room with different backgrounds and desires and likes, dislikes. Oh my goodness. Is it going to be simple? No, it's not going to be simple. It's going to be effort and toil. It's going to be work. And you got to resolve not to quit. You got to resolve not to quit. You know, they say that most pastors carry the resignation in their coat jack pocket. That's sad to me. Most pastors, they say, carry the, and most of them want to turn them in on Monday. Thankfully, most pastors take Monday off and they don't get to turn it in. And they, they survive another week. But then they, for some reason, I can't imagine a pastor showing up to preach and he's got his resignation in his pocket. I think, I, I think this is it. I'm going to quit. It's so hard. Yes, pastor, it's hard. Buck it up. Buck it up. Pull up your trousers and let's keep going. Jesus said to his church, good on you. Good on you. You didn't faint. You didn't quit when it got hard. It's going to be hard. Church, it's going to be hard. Those elders who are sitting here, they know deep well it's hard. Amen, Roger? It, it gets hard. And there are times when we want to quit. It, aren't there times, Jeff, when we say, I don't want to do this? It's hard, but we don't. We don't. We keep going. Church, we must keep going. Do you see how when I talk about these are letters to the seven churches? They're really a, a representative smattering. We can learn so much when we look at the church of Ephesus. Are we like this? Lord, judge us. Judge Oakwood. Are we positive in the positive ways of Ephesus? They hated the deeds of those Nicolaitans. Notice the deeds there. Not the doctrine. It was the deeds. They didn't like what they were doing. Was it dividing the church? I don't know. Was it simply beating on the pastor and the the authority of the church? I don't know but I can make a case for the fact that it's not right for the church to be bickering. It's not right for the church to be attacking. It's not right when the sheep bare their teeth and go on attack on one another. It's not right. And so when Jesus saw that they hated the deeds, they hated the the church being torn apart, the people themselves hated that, he commended them for it. So what's the complaint for Ephesus? He says, all of that is good. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice that we learn uh, that Jesus was doing business correct? Because we learn how to do business right now. I mean, there's books written that if you're going to tell somebody they've done something poorly, you go and tell them all the things they're doing good first so you can soften the blow, right? Funny. Everything that's ever written, the Bible got there first. (laughs) And here comes Jesus. Hey, Ephesus, you're great when it comes to this list. But this, I got a little, I got to talk about this. Performing its duty apart from love. Jesus says, you've lost your first love. You're doing it. The effort and toil has worn on you and all of a sudden it's become effort and toil and it's become putting on your pants and bucking them up and keep going and you're doing it but you forgot that you're doing it for the love of Christ. That you love Jesus. Orthodoxy without love is unacceptable. Take that in for a little bit. We can be right here doctrinally but we can be so far from jesus and that bothers him jesus comes to his church and said good job church you're following as closely as you can you're getting as right as much as you can good job here's a problem you're not doing it out of love his complaint the main motivation in christian living must be love for jesus oakwood how's our love have we lost our first love have we struggled through the swamp of, of non-simple church uh, and then we're just exhausted and we just keep going? Is that, is that where we're at? No, I hope not. As Jesus judges his church, let us be faithful to him and to him alone. There's the commendation and complaint, and then we get to the prescription. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus done said, hey, you did really good on these things, but you did bad here. 
squish it like a bug. I mean, isn't that great? Wouldn't Revelation be an awful book if Jesus just goes around squashing all the churches? Oh, you're wonderful, but your youth pastor's bald. Oh, okay. No more you. No more you. All youth pastors. No, no, sit back down. Youth pastors must have cool hair and goatees. They must. They have to. I mean, aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't just... I mean, isn't this grace? This is the definition of grace. Jesus comes and says, you're not doing well here, but I love you. I love you, and let's get it right. What's his prescription for Ephesus? He gives an exhortation and a warning. The prescription is, remember. What a great prescription. Hey, church, just remember Jesus. Look back. Remember the love you had for him? Remember all the things he's done for you? Look back. In college, I probably can't share this in the second service because my wife will be here. So don't tell her. In college, I got dumped by a girl. And I remember going to the professor that I liked the most and I was there and I was crying and I can't believe I'm going to lose her. And, and uh, his advice was good. He, he told me, he said, well... You know, I, I don't know what the relationship's like, but if you just, you know, if you want to win her back, just you, you need to go back to what made you guys so happy back at the beginning of your relationship. Take her, take her out to the places you used to go and do all that. And he's telling me, you know, and I, it was great advice. I was so excited I was going to win her back. And then I remember him looking at me saying, but are you sure you want her back? And Don, before you go through all that effort, maybe God's got something better for you. And he did. And he did. I'm glad I didn't win that one back. For the church, we've got one first love, Jesus. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember when we, we go through the, the slough of despair to get down to the basement to do Sunshine Park. David, God bless you in your orange shirt. He's going down there, loving you. got yours on there. You're ready to go. Jan Porter comes in with her thing every week. Jeff's got his orange shirt on. And, and you know what? I praise God for you guys that you do it. Praise God that you get down there and you, 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 your smiling faces make the, a good day for our kids. But we got to remember it's about Jesus. We can't ever forget we do it for Jesus. We want to represent Jesus so these little kids see who he is. We, we want to tell them about who he is. It's about Jesus. And so I'll go back down to the dungeon and I'll deal with the little inmates down there and I'll, I'll tell them about Jesus and we'll play fun games and we'll make it a great day. They'll come up with amazing crafts. I'm amazed when I leave church and I see the things these kids are coming out with. I'm like, you built that today? It would take me a month. How are they doing these things? The first love has got to be about Jesus. The love they once had. And then the second thing was simply repent. You've got to repent the loves that replaced the first love. See, typically, when you've lost your first love, you've probably replaced it with something new. Right? And so, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I love you. I know your good deeds, but you've lost your first love. Repent of that. Remember Jesus and repent of that. Put aside those new loves and love Jesus, and then do. I love Jesus doesn't let it off the hook. I'm not saying stop doing. Simple Church and some of these other books that come out and pretty much just want to throw everything out and don't do anything. But no, no, I, I think there's a measure of wanting to do. I'm not talking about crazy church. I'm not talking about insane church. I'm not talking about a calendar we cannot maintain, but I am talking about let's get in the dirt. Let's get busy. Let's do everything we can. Let's toil and sweat. I, I've never shied away from a project because it would be too hard. I've had guys in ministry that always said no. We'd get at a chalkboard and we'd start drawing up plan. They'd always like, I don't think we should. It's just going to be so hard. It's going to take so much work. I might have to be here after five. I might have to come on a Saturday. I don't, I don't do Saturdays. I, I've been around guys like that. You know what? They're not working with me. I don't keep them because you know why? No, ministry is effort. Our love for Jesus compels us to do, do, do serve Jesus out of their first love. That's just the first church. The letter to Ephesus, the descriptions of Christ, protector and present, the commendations, the prescription, and the promise, lastly, is deliverance. He says to them, I'll give you this promise. If you will remember and repent and do 
follow Jesus, keep him your first passion, then I will deliver you, he says in verse 7. We've got to keep going. This is going to be like this for each of the seven churches. We've got ways to go here. And so I put this little map on there. Can you see it? Ephesus. Right here, it's an important city, probably the biggest city of the ones that we're going to look at. And what is its lesson? Its lesson is serving without love. Oakwood, don't let us be told by Christ that we served him without love. Let's remember our first love. Let's go on to Smyrna. Good old Smyrna. Smyrna, let me tell you about it. Smyrna is a wealthy port less than 40 miles from Ephesus. The word Smyrna is based on the word myrrh, the word myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H. It's an herb that releases a pleasant aroma when it's crushed. Remember that. The population was less than half of Ephesus. Only around 100,000 people lived there. Still a big city, though. The church is there. What is the description of Christ in the the letter to Smyrna? Let's read it. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but they're not. They're a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the church says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at the second death. Victorious. The one who is nakao will not be hurt at the second death. Let's fly through it. Smyrna. Description of Christ is he's sovereign and victorious. The Bible says he's first and last. He died, but he came to life again. So the, the description of Jesus is he is sovereign and he is victorious. Nikao, he overcame death. That's who Jesus is. The diagnosis for the church in, in Smyrna. The commendation, by the way, no complaint. Isn't that a great day when seven churches got letters and your church didn't get a complaint? I don't know who the pastor was in Smyrna, but he ought to wrote a book. Commendation, no complaint. What is the commendation for Smyrna? They endured tribulation. The world will hate you, persecute you, ostracize you, and kill. Jesus noticed that. He noticed that this church was just getting beaten down. Smyrna. Smyrna on the sea. I believe this is, this might be another church. I might be confusing my churches. But Smyrna was suffering. They were having a hard time because uh, the people in that area were very much into false idols, uh, temple worship of, of false gods. And so the Bible says that Jesus tells them, I see that you're hated, you're persecuted, you're ostracized. Some of them have been killed, martyred for their faith. They survived severe abject poverty. They probably lost jobs due to the spiritual oppression. This is another one of those towns where, where if you wanted to work, you had to comply. And in other words, most of these businesses thrived on false gods. And so you had to proclaim your loyalty to this false deity. If you were going to be an authentic Christian in the world of Smyrna, you probably didn't have a job. You probably couldn't work. They would kick you out. And we think that we're so worried that that's going to happen. Oh, if I don't have my vaccine passport, they're not going to let me fly to Bahama. Oh, we're so persecuted. <laughs> Literally, these people couldn't make money because they would not be like the world. That's incredible. They survived severe, and in your notes, it's wrongly spelled sever. It was a rough week, just trust me. Sever is probably a good word, too. They were were severed from financial security. Lost jobs due to it. They stood against slanderous blasphemy. The religious leaders used by Satan to oppress the work of God. There were people that called themselves true Jews, but Jesus judged them and says they're not true Jews. They are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. Whoo. Boy, Jesus comes in and he calls it like it is. There are those who are not proclaiming the truth and he warns them about them and he, he says, good job. Good job. You're standing against them. So what is the prescription? Well, there's an exhortation. There's nothing really to fix here, but there's something for them to continue on, right? And so Jesus says to them, do not fear. 
Be assured that Satan can't go beyond what God permits. I love the little verse in there that says, you will suffer for 10 days. Is that a literal 10 days? I don't believe so. I, uh, 10 is used as completion probably because we got 10 digits. And it was probably just a way to say, you're going to suffer for an amount of time. But I want you to know this. It's not 8 and it's not 12. It's not 5 and it's not going to be 25. It's going to be limited. I know there is a limit. You're going to be crushed and pressed. And by the way, in each of these seven churches, it's so beautiful that he talks to the church and they know, they know what he's talking about. Because again, Smyrna from myrrh. Myrrh is a beautiful aroma only when it's crushed. Don't you like to go up to the trees, the pine trees, and, the, and you grab them? And I, I do it. I, as I'm mowing, I'll grab some as I go by. And I love to just... <sighs> that aroma that comes. But it comes from a crushing and a pressing. And Jesus knows the environment they live in. In, in Battle Creek, we had Kellogg's. So for my 25 years in Battle Creek, you would wake up on any given day and you would know what they were making. Oh, we love Fruit Loops Day. I mean, we lived in a town where literally the whole town would smell like Fruit Loops. And then Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Puffs actually became a problem. We're like addicts, you know. Everybody's heading to the store to buy chocolate because the whole town smelt of chocolate. I mean, if Jesus was writing a letter to the Church of Calvary, he would say, I know your, your smells, I know your smells. Some of you, when you serve me with love, it's the essence of Fruit Loops. I mean, I don't know what he would write, but he would write something like that to Battle Creek, not here. He would probably say to the church in Detroit, I know your drive, and I know you got an engine that roars. That, see, see what I'm saying? He knows his churches. And for Smyrna, he's telling them, be assured, Satan cannot win. He is going to be suppressed. It's going to be 10. It's going to be a limited fixed number. But you will be crushed and pressed. But oh, how lovely the aroma of my people who stay with it. That's what he says to his church in Smyrna. He tells them to be faithful. Be faithful even to death. Ephesians 2.8, Christ is our example here. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. Jesus is our example. And, and there's a promise for those who endure. James 1.12 tells us this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life. Uh, that's interpreted crown, but it, I really wish they'd paid more attention. It should be wreath of life. This is the Greco-Roman world. And so the, really the imagery was supposed to be this wreath, this, this victorious crown uh, of the wreath, the winner, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Oh, Jesus is our example and a promise for those who endure. And God bless Smyrna. Good on you, folks. So what's the promise? He promises them relationship. The second death. I mean, you... We know where Pastor Bob is today, amen? We know where Pastor Porter is today, amen? We know where Pastor Shrek is today, amen? We know and have no fear that they are not defeated by death. And they should have no fear that this death was going to encompass them and that would be the, the end. You know how sad it is to go to the gravesite and realize for an unsaved family, that's it? As a pastor, I stand at the head of the casket as it's lowered into the ground and they throw dirt on it. And for those that don't believe, that's all. Oh, to be at Shrek's funeral when we say, oh, he's not here. What we're doing today is not, he's gone. If you've ever been around a, a believer who's passed in their lifeless body, you understand the tent we live in now. It's not us. We're just occupying a simple tent so the, the promise is given them. You will live forever. You will have relationship with me forever. Ah, oh, for the church of Smyrna. Poor financially, yet rich in Christ. I love how Jesus tells them, I know you're suffering. You have no money, but you are rich. Again, that's my favorite, one of my favorite songs in the Southern Gospel world. I'm a poor rich man. Oh, I'm a poor rich man. Oh, you see, it really happened to me. I'm a millionaire. 
I'll tell you once more before I get out the door about many rich folks that I know. They got a home in the sky that money couldn't buy. Oh, I'm, I'm a poor, poor rich man. Take that. <laughs> I'm a poor rich man. Smyrna was poor yet rich in Christ. We got to go. Let's go to Pergamus. Pergamus or Pergamon or Pergamum. Don't get freaked out, okay? There's so many ways to talk about Pergamus. Uh, we chose Pergamus here, and we're going to read about them. To the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. <laughs> Is that where it comes from, that saying? I, I thought about that. I, I've always, I saw that description, I thought, what? I thought it was from like Jim Bongiorno, the Italian mafia here. I know where you live. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and they committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. Nikao, I will give you some of the hidden manna. Oh, I want that. I had to stop there. I thought about it. What's the hidden manna? I added it to my heaven bucket list, Jerry. I did. I I wrote this down this week. I thought, can I ask Jesus for some of that when I get to heaven? I I, I literally want to try the manna that was talked about in the Old Testament. I want to try that. Was it good? I mean, it's a sweet. I want to. Oh, but he's talking about this hidden manna for these people. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. Let's run through Pergamus. What was the description of Christ here? The authoritative in his word. The one with the sword coming out of his mouth. And again, that is the word of, the word of God, the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He's authoritative. What's the diagnosis for Pergamus? The condemnation and complaint. The Pergamus church is commended because of their loyal in allegiance to the deity of Christ. They remain true to Christ. They maintained an orthodox doctrinal position. Again, as you look at this passage, you just see the, the words that Jesus used about the, 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 the apostates here. A church of Satan. A house of Satan. I know where you live. It's where Satan is. Ooh, this church was really dealing with it. Yeah, when Jesus is that specific, they're really struggling through the satanic negativity of a false doctrine being preached. What are the complaints for Pergamus? Even though they stood up against all of that, he says, you, you tolerated within your membership some who had compromised their walk. Apparently in this church in Pergamus, there was a vocal leader who, who stood up and just wanted to teach. Their, and you know what? They just they tolerated it. In some way, they, they gave an opportunity for the person to share their thoughts. They tolerated those who held to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, like we heard in Ephesus, that negative uh, Nicolaitans group. In Ephesus, it was about the deeds, but here it's about their doctrine. You're tolerating their nonsense. You're tolerating the wrong belief that they are propagating out there. Jesus says you can't do that. The commendation and complaint are are there. The, The church was allowing them to talk about eating food that had been offered to idols. John was very opposed to this, obviously. and it Just knowingly, I don't care. I don't care about being mixed into the world's things. But then the, the idea that they were also teaching this sexual immorality probably tied to the worship of this false god. How far the church would go to allow that kind of thing and that's why I think if Jesus were to come to Oakwood, he would judge us. I think you need to know, we need to be careful that we weed out those false doctrines. And we don't just give somebody the platform. I take it very seriously who comes to preach. I'm very thankful we, we could put Pastor Shane or Pastor Ben here any Sunday, and I don't have to worry about them. They're going to honor this. But then the guest speakers we bring in, I don't just bring in anybody. 
I want to bring in people who hold to the Word. I don't want them to get up here and teach the newest, hottest thing because it's probably not good. What's the prescription for this church in Pergamos? The prescription is repent. The church has a responsibility to disciplinary members. This is hard. You need to know that we don't take any pleasure when this has to be done. And I can say in my six years that I've been here, we've not disciplined anybody from the church. There's some that have left just in time or they might have been disciplined. <laughs> that's typically what happens when there's a, a little bit of an argument about something that somebody just leaves. That's too bad. I, I do think if Jesus were to talk to all churches, he would say, but you, just didn't, you didn't deal with it. You just, they went away. And they probably went to another church and did the same thing. You know, troublemakers are troublemakers no matter where they go, right? I mean, whew. And so to this church, the prescription was repent. You got a responsibility to not allow that nonsense. You got to speak to it. You got to go talk to him. You got to say, I'm not going to let that happen. And what's the promise? The promise is satisfaction and position. It's mentioned there a new name written on a white stone. And again, that's cultural. So many thoughts about that. They talked about a, a precious stone. I don't think that's what it refers to. But I do uh, found out that uh, in court system, it, when you were given a, a verdict of like not guilty, uh, they would give you a white stone with a verdict on it. They would, they would hand that to you because then you could carry it around and show people. No, no, no. I wasn't. I was, look, I, I'm innocent. I've been, I've been set free. And that name, that hidden name, I, I love that concept because we know throughout Scripture that when Jesus comes into somebody's life, they, they are a new person. Often they got a new actual name, right? There was a name change. And so for you and for me, believer, if we stick with the truth of Christ, we'll be given satisfaction and a promise. We got to go. Let's get one more in today. Pergamos was about compromising. We don't want to be compromising. To Thyatira. Let's read it. Revelation 2 to Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God, those whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways, of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the hearts and mind, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I'll stop there just for a second. This one, you're like, yeah, now we're in Revelation. We're talking about killing people. Well, relax, relax here. Jezebel was a wicked uh, person in this church, again, teaching, uh, uh, eating food offered to idols, but also practicing sexual immorality in some kind of religious way. And so Jesus tells them, I'm not going to tolerate that. But don't you love the fact that he says, I have given her time to repent. Don't miss the grace here. We often look at the, the death word, but don't miss the part where Jesus says, I have given her time to repent. And to her followers, I've given them time unless they repent. But you need to know that when we read this, first of all, I want to say, it says her children I will put to death. Again, we're not talking about little, little Bobby and Jeannie, because that's what you think of when you see Jezebel's children. We're not talking about Jezebel's little kids, Bobby and Jeannie, that she brought up, right? No, her children mean the ones that she's taught these things to. Her children are the ones that she's given this uh, religious birth to. And, and those are the ones that Jesus is saying, they will be punished Jezebel will be punished, and they will be punished. So i gotta, I got to go there just so you know what's actually going on in this passage. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious, Nikao, and does the will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. 
The one that will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give the one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So to Thyatira, as we wrap up, the description of Christ is He's the Son of God. He's omniscient. He's sovereign. And the diagnosis that comes in the form of a a condemnation and complaint, commendation and complaint, they're commended first, for their good deeds. Jesus says, I see your good deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and your growing in servanthood. I love that Jesus looked and said, I see that you're doing this, and your service is actually growing. It's intensifying, and it's becoming more. And apparently it was out of love, because he doesn't commend them for doing it out of just rote duty. But the complaint for Tyra Tyra is this. They gave an evil person a platform for teaching. Back to Jezebel. And they, influential groups supported the false teaching. So within this church, we've got truth and we've got false doctrine being taught. And they're producing a generation of false believers. So what is the prescription, Jesus says, the exhortation and warning. The prescription for Tyra Tyra is this. Hold fast steadfast determination integrity don't give in hold fast and then what comes of all that the promise he'll give them a ruling authority the bible says to each church to whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches so we're hearing it today what is jesus saying about us what would jesus say to oakwood today Are we being careful with false doctrines that come up? I pray we would be. I pray we wouldn't be afraid to tell somebody, no, 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 that doesn't match up with the Word of God. Are we being careful not to be busy out of just wanting to do stuff? Or are we serving because we love Jesus and we want others to know Him? What is it that Jesus would say to the church at Oakwood? May we have ears to hear. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your your conversations with the churches in these areas. And God, I pray that we as Oakwood today would learn from the seven churches represented there and that we would uh, make sure that we're following you and we're following closely. And God, I'm thankful to see that you didn't care uh, about their carpets or their building size or, or, or things like that. What it was all about was the word of God. It was about a heart of love and service to you. And I'm thankful that those are the things that you judge churches on. And God, I pray we'd be faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen.